Paul with Yopcast for April 9th, 2018. Our fifth anniversary Yop featuring Brooklyn Poet Laureate Tina Chang leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host and MC once again, Jason Koo. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is a monthly poetry workshop and open mic held at 61 Local in Cobble Hill on the second Monday of every month. That's at 61 Bergen Street off Smith Street near the Bergen Street FG stop. For more information and to sign up, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Gerald Wagoner, Christy Stout, Chloe Stagaman, Alex Giorgio, Daniel Skaggs, Harvey Sauce, Judy Schneier, Bonnie Belay, Creighton Blinn, Alan Braverman, George Brocklehurst, Bill Livingston, Julia Knobloch, Timothy Gerber Fleury, Emma Rojas, Arthur Russell, Shara Hardison, Ai Yamanaka, Ada Chen, Sebastian Bernard, and Philip Angel. So, without any further delay, let's get right to the action. The open mic from our fifth anniversary yop. Enjoy. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate the, the woos. Thank you. This is the fifth anniversary, Yop. Let's, let's hear it one more time. Let's celebrate ourselves. I mean, why not? Uh, this is Broken Poets' sixth year. This is the fifth year of the Broken Poets, Yop. We've been doing uh, this particular event since 2013. Uh, as some of you may have seen on Facebook when I posted about it, the original Yop in 2013, there were nine people in the workshop. Uh, I taught that workshop. I think it was clearly because of me. Only nine people were there. I actually thought that was pretty good. I was like, wow, this, nobody knows about this. Nine people showed up, wow. And none of them were like my friends or family. Uh, and I think there were maybe like 25 people, open mic, Max. Uh, some of you guys know some of those poets. Ricky Hernandez was here. He's since moved on to, to greater things, I'm sure. But uh, he had been to many of these. I think Bill Livingston was at the first one, weren't you? Yeah, let's give it up for Bill at the very first Yop in 2013. Anyone else at the first one? Just me and Bill, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so I've passed DiMaggio. I am now working on 60 yops in a row. He only did 56 games with a hit. I mean, how hard is that? I mean, he had no commitment to poetry. He may have, he may have gotten a few hits, but I mean, come on now. Um, this is the Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic, if you have no idea where you are. Um, <laughs> I had a student. I had a student earlier this semester who uh, didn't realize he was in the wrong class. Like, he was supposed to be in my creative writing class, and he wasn't there for the first four days, and I emailed him. I was like, Do you, where have you been? He's like, what are you talking about? I've been in, wh what class am I in? I'm <laughs> Apparently, he was in the art of poetry, which is different from intro to creative writing. Don't really sound similar at all, do they? <laughs> but this guy had not figured it out. Yeah, that was the first. Anyway, um, we do have a few ground rules for the open mic. If you haven't been here before, every poet who reads gets one poem, three minutes max. That may seem strict and, uh, what's that word I love? Draconian. Do you guys know that word? One of my favorite words. Maybe overly draconian, but it really isn't. It's really 
so that as many poets as possible can come up here, especially including the poets on the wait list, poets that weren't fortunate enough to sign up in advance for one of those advanced spots. So please keep to your time. If you can, it helps us get to as many poets on the wait list as possible. We like to get through at least 22, 23 poets, at, and we don't always get to that number. So it'd be nice. If every, I feel like 24 is a great number. So if we could hit that number every time, which, yeah, that probably would, we would be here till like 2 a.m. But uh, 24 would be good. 24 is a good start. Uh, so one poem, three minutes max. We do record the open mic as a podcast, which we call the Yopcast. You can subscribe to that shit on iTunes. Give us five stars. I would love you. Pretty much it's, it's me so far who's given it five stars, which... <laughs> I mean, come on now. I mean, how many poets are in this room? Get on that shit. Give it five stars. How hard is that? I can't help you. <laughs> I can't help you, Candy. I mean, come on now. <laughs> the other day I saw an iPod for the first time since like 2006. I was like, what is that? <laughs> like an ancient relic, like a Tyrannosaurus Rex bone. Um, we do record it, so uh, if you don't want to be in the recording, let me know. We can take you off the recording. Try to read into the mic. This is about a good distance, good volume. Uh, there is music downstairs. We try to we try to blast our way through that. Uh, and every month we vote for poem of the month, uh, which is done by audience vote. So if you don't have my number, I'm about to give it to you. I'll give it to you several times throughout the night. The number to vote is seven one eight three seven four one nine five three. I feel like all the people that are regulars are just like, I'm cool, I know the number already. <laughs> you need Ku's number? You're a loser. <laughs> uh, maybe true. 718-374-1953. <laughs> so uh, we'll go through the names. I'll, I'll repeat the names as we go. And all you really got to do is tell me the poet's name. That's the easiest way. You don't have to remember the title or anything like that. One vote. You can vote for yourself. It's really best if you vote for someone else if you read. Um, don't tell anyone that's not here to vote. We've had some issues with that in the past. That's <laughs> some super shady shit. Don't do that. This is how Arthur won all of his awards. <laughs> no, it's not really true. Um, and a couple of announcements before we begin. Next Friday, April 20th, that's next Friday, yes? Yeah. Next Friday. Actually, before that, April 13th, we're doing a very last-minute event at the Brooklyn Historical Society. They invite... This is what happens to me all the time. People email me. They're like, we need to do a poetry event. Do you want to help us? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> all right. So this is Brooklyn Historical Society. They seem important enough. So I was like, all right. We'll do it. Uh, but that's this Friday in Brooklyn Heights. Um, they have free Fridays. They have a poetry event happening. I think it's like 8 o'clock. Uh, I will be there, Ricardo Maldonado will be there, and some people you may know from the Broken Poets Yop, Sandy Tran will be there, former Broken Poets fellow, uh, Rent Ferris, who was one of the finalists for Poem of the Year last year, and uh, Asiya Wadud, another Broken Poets fellow, Arthur Likes, Rent Ferris. So uh, come out for that if you want, it's free, it's in Brooklyn Heights, a beautiful neighborhood, I used to live there, I can vouch for it personally. <laughs> and next, April 20th, our own event is happening at uh, Industrious Brooklyn, where's Tony? Uh, Tony's, he's not even responding, he's like, Tony. <laughs> Did the tribe give up some runs or something? Why, why are you in such a bad mood? He's like, okay, okay. Anyway, this is Tony. And Tony works in Industrious, which is the, uh, he's the connect for this venue space that we have. No one's excited because your energy is so low. You gotta act, you gotta act more excited. <laughs> we, I feel, we, I, we're all worried about you now. You seem, you seem down. Anyway. 
Uh, it will be at Industrious Brooklyn. I th what's that? Prospect Heights? Somewhere in that vicinity. Uh, and these are the poets that are reading. Dorothy Alasky, who Tina... Where's Tina Chang, by the way? Oh, there she is. <laughs> Tina mentioned Dorothy Alasky. She will be reading from her new book, which launches, I think, this month. So that's exciting. Uh, who else is there? Charles Theonia is going to be there, an amazing poet. And Simone John from Boston, whose new book, Testify, is out from Octopus. All those three poets will be reading. We'll have food. We'll have wine. Be a great time. That also is free. So that's April 20th. And that starts at, good question, that starts at 8 p.m. Doors open at 8 p.m. It's a little later than we usually do it, but it's just because i got to drive my ass back from Connecticut. And uh, anyway, yeah, 8 p.m. All right, any questions? No. You can see I'm in teacher mode. Any questions? <laughs> People are like, no. Anyway, is that it? I think that's it. Any questions? All right. Before we begin the open mic proper, we're going to hear from our featured reader. You know her well from just like 15 minutes ago. <laughs> Give it up for the Brooklyn Poet Laureate, Tina Chang. How am I doing in terms of height? Good? Is this what I'm supposed to do? I don't know what to do with these kinds of mics. Um, I'm not as funny as Jason. I feel like I had this idea, Jason, while you're talking. We should have like a Brooklyn Poets podcast. And because you have like one of those late night, kind of like sultry, <laughs> conversational voices. Nothing like Jason. I'm just going to read my poem. I want to try to take as little time as possible so that I could uh, listen to you. So I'm going to read one piece. Uh, it's from my new book. So I just found out that my book is coming out next year with Norton. And so I'm really, really, really excited. <laughs> so all I can say is before we were talking about writer's block, I had the worst writer's block. And sometimes, because I'm also a mom, which is really easy to have writer's block when you're a mom. So I just kind of like always just changed diapers. And that was like my excuse for not writing. And so I did this for years. And then finally, I got back into it. All I could say, and this is what my, my dear professor said, it takes takes eight years to write a book. So this took me eight years um, to, to finish this book. So I'm so excited it's going to be out in the world. I can tell you maybe a little bit of something about the book. It's called Hybrida. Uh, it, it comes from the word hybrid. And uh, it is from the perspective, well, it's about a child of mixed race. My son is half Asian and half black. And it is written about this child from the lens, from the perspective of a mother. So all I can say is that um, most of the perspective is from the mother's view. And this is the only poem which appears like a little bit more toward the end of the book. Maybe it's like the penultimate poem. And it's called uh, Prophecy. If you were here, how many people were actually here for the workshop part of it? OK, like half, half. Um, and uh, all I can say is that um, oftentimes when I don't know like what to write, you could see this is a theme, like it happens to me a lot, is um, I respond to poets. So this is written in response to Donald Hall's poem, also called Prophecy. So this is called Prophecy. And it's from the son's voice. You have to imagine I'm like a, like a very tall, half black man. And <laughs> which is, I'm imagining that my son is, is grown and he's talking to me. Prophecy. I will strike down white caps of longing on which the boats sail, mama. I will strike down the buildings in which reside clouds of ammunition, mama. 
I will explode the vicissitudes of hatred, armed guards with jagged swords, with shields in the name of patience, where cowardice is brandished in handcuffs, mama, where the brute force of discipline is placed in whose hands strike down anything with a vein for bleeding and a shock of hair. Strike down by not striking. The baton breaks the head parts, mama. When you had a mouth, you used to speak, mama. Strike down the hammer, the hammer strikes down, the heart pushes back, resuscitates, mama. I reject walls and those who build them. I reject the safety of fear. I reject salvation in the form of nourishment. Make room for the rising undercurrent, which will carry us to bloom, mama. Make room for the resurgence of bliss that once filled your cup. Make room for men who say their name is grace or mercy, mama. What they mean is root and chain. What they mean is organization as force. What they mean is tangle and barbed wire. Prison is what they mean, mama. I can bet you that language is not their own. I can bet their tongue unfurls themselves at night when their mouths sag and repose. When the mouth is no longer a hound. When the mouth rests unworthy like a leash. Sometimes that leather tears, mama. I can say now words were once teeth, mama. I break my expectations when the bone is broken, yet another man lost at sea. Before that, back, neck, spine, cracked matters of discipline. The tufted fur skims the sidewalk, mama. It was never disciplined enough to say yes, never broken enough to say no. We ride now toward the last kingdom, mama. Dark immigrant face, heart dissolved to a berry, then shrunken to a seed, but don't be fooled when nothing grows, mama. I was birthed here. I am alone. Today I shall write one line that continues to the end of the world, and in so doing I have faced the wound, mama. Wound is the world with its hair on fire. Once fresh, there was my boyhood, mama. I can say I'm older now, and to say that, I mean it is real, and I could face it. Say it now, the future. Black boot, black boot, black boot, march, march. Black boot, black boot, black boot, black boot, black boot, black boot, march, march. Black boot, black boot, black boot, black boot, black boot, black boot. March. My boots are a prophecy, a future hurricane. I was a boy, a man, a father, a god. I chisel no headstones. I'll never turn back. Thank you. Thank you, Tina. Uh, so some of you know the Broken Poets Anthology back there that we put out last year. I just want to thank Tina again for helping us with that. Uh, I don't think it's easy to be a poet laureate, believe it or not. <laughs> How many of you think it's easy to be a poet laureate? Like we're all like, why aren't why aren't why aren't I poet laureate, right? But I feel like I I feel like I've asked myself that question at one point. Well. But uh, we had Tina come over for a, a promo video for that anthology, and me and Joe Pan, the co-editors, and uh, we were just like we couldn't fucking say anything like five words without stumbling and the director would be like okay let's do that again tina just comes into my apartment to do this she's just like nails it <laughs> like first take says like 15 beautiful sentences totally articulate expresses everything we want to express i was like that's a poet laureate right there <laughs> so um appreciate the broken poet laureate she's great at her job which is an amazing thing for our community give her a round of applause thank you tina
Okay, we're on to the waitlist. This is a first in the Brooklyn Poets Yop history. I don't know what that means. Or fifth, there's no one else at the waitlist besides our uh, staff. That's interesting. Do y'all is is the waitlist just so depressing? No one feels like they're. Go- I mean, these two people. I mean, the, they they are on the waitlist, but they're they're like the the staff, so they read automatically. But there's no one else, is what I'm saying. What, why are you pointing at me? <laughs> this is Sebastian and Ada. You're on the main list, dude. Stop pointing at me. Just put that put that finger down. <laughs> anyway, it's just it's just interesting. Doesn't really matter. All right. Well, you're first. Give it up for Gerald Wagner. Okay. Uh, yeah, I made a joke about poor Lori a little while ago. Um, okay. It's had a title, but I don't like it, so I'm not going to use it. <laughs> All right. The Met's Greek and Roman gallery is skylit. Drifting clouds draw shadows across the sculpture of Ovid. Time is marked by scholarly labels and the subtle shift of shade as the museum turns towards closing. I bring my 9 by 12 pad and pencils to this collection of ancient and marred statuary in order to ask which will draft me to plot the points of proportion, to ask which in their silence voices my want and my scheme. I'm drawn to stone before bronze. I have shaped stone with hammer and chisel, machines that scream, the patient gradual abrasion of stones grated grit on stone. None here are whole. Time is not kind. Vibration and the gravity of the situation cleave crystal from crystal. The stone arm snaps at the shoulder. The heads just pop off to leave a scooped cleavage revealing the planes that interrupt sculpted form to expose naked mineral geometry. These are the old wounds. The collision between the fracturing forces of violent indifference and the sculptor's intent. Those missing toes are not always the first to go. The hammer blows of apathy fall randomly. The mass of the torso survives despite the abuse. It is nearer to itself. For centuries it bowed, forehead to the dirt, before the whirlwind. It knows the absoluteness of time's taking, the oblique plane of interruption that slices finally through all of our intentions. Drafting is the pursuit and the promise of the ineffable. Silent music of the object where tone measures light, rhythm measures time, and line measures the lyric contour. I want to measure the pauses in the body's great circle roots from scar to scar. Sometimes I try with my bare hands to grasp the chrome fish in this green stream to draw up clues that lie in the uncut emerald opacity of hand and lie, where no words apply. I want to build an illusion of shadow that eludes. I want drawings that dray darkly an image from the haze of its guarded perceptibility. Yet I barely sense its coy tiptoe, disguised as breath in the fog of my innocence.
thought that worked well with the music down there. And that was like the first time. It was like they're doing something quiet now. It's like it's like explosions in the sky or something. Gerald's got his. You're not from Texas, are you? That works too. <laughs> He's got his like Montana thing going on. <laughs> yeah. You guys, you guys know Friday Night Lights. You guys watch that. Yeah. If you don't, you just go screw yourself somewhere. It's a great show. If Julie Hart would hear, Julie Hart, where the hell is Julie Hart when I need her? She's got a great poem about Tim Riggins. Anyway, a little bit of a man crush on Tim Riggins, but that's it's all in the past. Uh, our next poet. <laughs> Our next poet tonight is Christy Stout. Give it up for Christy. Thank you. Thank you. This is called um, Embodiment of My Biggest Earthly Fear. There is always an eat, pray, love at the goodwill. I don't care what state you're in. Sorry, let me be more specific. There is always a paperback eat, pray, love at the Goodwill. The eternal paperback eat, pray, love at the Goodwill. I can see the middle-aged woman soft in all the places she never thought she'd be thumbing it, sighing, thumbing it, trying to become Julia Roberts by osmosis, sighing, thumbing it, and uh, oh, what the hell, it's only two bucks, you know, something like that. And then the soft woman sighing, thumbing it, couldn't become Julia Roberts and instead found the same nothing, nothing, nothing. It fixed nothing. Maybe some spring cleaning will do the trick. I could weep thinking about it. That was awesome. I was like getting my tweeting ready. It's like, this poet is great. And then you were done. <laughs> Yeah, you leave us wanting more. Well done. Um, I love Julia Roberts. What happened to Julia? Is she just she's just she's just older now. That sounds so terrible. That sounds mean. I don't mean that in a mean way. <laughs> I just feel like I haven't seen a movie she was in in a while. I actually just watched that movie pretty recently. Did she? Okay, so I'm terrible. I'm a terrible person. That's what you're saying. All right. All right. Well, that's good. Julia Roberts is back. <laughs> anyway, because I'm generally such a good human being, you know, generally. <laughs> Our next vote of the evening is Chloe Stagerman. Give it up for Chloe. Okay, is this good? So this is a poem called Teleportion, which is not to be confused with teleportation. Um, don't disturb me, I'm teleportioning. My knees stand as vertical towers do, cued beside a moustached East Village cigarette man who inhales the dank swell of arisen 5 p.m. nightclubs while his lungs scratch at each intake to no listeners. Because my ears are ornamenting a dotted white shower curtain back home in Brooklyn like earrings, sucking in Cody's sultry tenor hum as they fight off the fine fog that would have laced my arms in ridges of skin if they weren't already burning themselves on an oven grate, attempting to cradle juniper pie the color of white wine to the safety of the laminate countertop. 
Unsuccessful without my grab hand, my left oven mitt left void of hinged extensions because my ten fingers and palms are preoccupied. Testing Cameron's Montgomery Ward Escort 550 upon his insistence that, Chloe, a typewriter would be good for you to really feel the changes in your line breaks. I would respond to him now that yes, maybe feeling line breaks is the right call if my tongue hadn't run off to the library with my mouth, shoulders, and teeth in tow to explain why the books I forgot to renew really should not incriminate me this much. The shoulders are there to shrug in the absence of my eyes who are out front hypnotized in isolation by my broken back bicycle brake. How it pulsates north and south too freely like clay to potter's wheel along my tires, or the bubbling pedicure tub cleaning my toes that got away to Bedford Avenue. My toenails are draft paintings on exhibit, embarrassed by their cracked nail polish as the technician tisk tisks and asks if I'd like a massage for my hips, who are MIA, AWOL as ever, testing mattresses on Fifth Avenue with my spine, and together they are at best a couple after 20 years, admitting their curvatures imperfections and quirky predispositions to an anxious salesman who sleeps in a hammock to avoid a startling lack of work-life balance. I'd never really taken a mattress salesman's woes to heart, which brings me to my heart and my mind who are waving to each other for the first time in ages like a pair of lucky cats. They're laughing and their knowing nod at this fragmented conundrum, my body spread out across tandem moments like pieces of Wonder Bread scattered to pigeons. Eat me, New York. In the future, I'll break myself up into pieces so I can feel your instance with each slice. Thanks. Oh, damn, I don't know if it's the music. These poets have been good so far. Not that they're not usually good, but uh, I feel like I say that every month. Anyway, well done, Chloe. I love that line about the typewriter. I just tweeted that. <laughs> Hashtag Brooklyn Poets Yop. Not that anyone gives a shit, which you shouldn't. Why should you care about a stupid hashtag? Isn't it crazy that we have hashtags in our life? Like, what the fuck? It's like, whoever invented the hashtag? Anyway, our next poet... Just made a film about Elizabeth Bishop. Get it for Alex Sarah Giorgio. Hi, guys. <laughs> so, um, as Tina was talking about earlier, um, I, uh, I also really like to respond to other poets. Um, and so, I've been working on... Um, this collection of poems responding to fragments of Sappho's songs. So Sappho, the ancient Greek poetess. Um, and so this particular poem I'm going to read is responding to fragment 83, which goes right here, parentheses, now again. It's a daily tug of war, the way I lose myself and am brought back again. I've lived here my whole life. This body, I mean. You know how it is, we grow into this being, this rosy flesh, and sometimes we grow out of it. Others, we simply grow tired. You've seen how this world works, the machinery required, all that relentless noise. You've known violence like a wedding night and turned right back around. Oh, let them take what they want, step outside for a while. Might return later, might not. Either way, 
I've seen trees wiggle out of the dirt after all those years of belonging and reach their roots towards the sky. I've seen them, seen them thank the wind for the kindness done to them, all that loosening up. What happens next takes time. Thank you. These are so good. I think it really is the music. How do you, it's so nice, isn't it? You don't like that? I mean, I'm not saying. Just don't, inter don't interpret. Don't try to read into what I'm saying. <laughs> but it is nice. I mean, compared to, you guys know what the music usually is like. It's like a club down there. I know, but it's usually louder. <laughs> you want to say that? <laughs> uh, maybe that's what it is. She's improving. Anyway, um, it's funny. Uh, I must tweet your name a lot because it was just autocorrected to Sarah Giorgio on my phone. That was that was super nice because I was like S A R R I G and it just came out. Anyway, just between me and Alex, <laughs> our next poet is Daniel Skaggs. Give it up for Daniel. Um, so this is actually too long, and the second uh, poem, really, the first I wrote on the way to uh, what I hoped would be a good introduction to a residency interview at a psychiatry program that was funky enough to impress them with a poem. Um, so then I wrote this. It's called Prose. It always feels too far. How does one stop writing poetry? Is it by slowly and methodically replacing the boundaries removed by flashing zebras? Your creative license to transcend and redefine what is normal and acceptable syntax in favor of something a bit more. How can I say it expressive or the word expressively? Do I, can I rhyme or slant rhyme or move in time? Rather timidly now that I have to pay more attention. I don't know how you live here in the present moment when you require that I ask permission for I choose to be myself. It's not easy, that's for sure. There are too many people I'm trying to stop impressing even when I think it's required to offend them briefly while I discard all those silly conventions and hope that they might recognize the wisdom that creates boundaries and power one to consciously and willfully remove them. But there are a few things that stifle full, articula full articulation of well. For one, poetry which speaks to my poetically sensible heart. It makes the linear life more difficult because a poem just happens presently, you know? It just feels so right, even though it's like trying to mix paint with your hands because the brushes are still in storage and frankly in planning. You easily take the backseat to experience while briefly things end up being said a little less precisely funny, to me at least, to giggle knowing that this is a sloppy expression of who I am. Sad that I'm wounded enough to share that with you. It's less scary than not sharing, that's what I'm finding. Because at least then I'm open to whatever hurts. I put myself out there. You accept or reject me, which I'll call that which needs fixing by being allowed to just be, to say the necessary words that require to feel heard enough to be silent when presented with something more real, more tangible, more congruent with what's happening right now. Be between and through all of us, we're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. When I'm okay, I'm going to do everything in my power to stop, to help others feel okay because, because it's too hard to feel out of balance all the time. I know. 
to wake up is something we can do every day. We have to every day or else we have long nights ahead of us and behind, eyes blinded by nature's shutters, easing each one of us towards a slow and steady slumber whose haziness can feel settling in the uncertainty of cloudy vision of the constant stream of mistakes we are all making towards ourselves and other others which cause real pain. And to so many, so often it seems reasonable to take a step back and not be so concerned with needing to be poetic. It is what it is. That's just life. But for me, I die slowly inside because I'm not a part of your world. I never will be, and neither are you a part of mine. We are part of something shared, something greater than both of us combined, synthesized and summed. Only a part of me is in that now. And that part of me feels trapped and stifled, and the best thing it knows is to go big be extravagant and powerfully present, but a life is relative to what you consider living, and sometimes I electrocute people. I burn them up from the inside with such an intensity I'm trying to control myself, which is something I'm still struggling to take ownership over, which can hurt people so badly I think it dries them up. But I don't really know because I'm striving so hard to feel connected to everything that I didn't know I could feel if I was connected. It's a new experience for me, for anyone so desperately dead set on unapologetically finding themselves in a way that stems from such sincerity. I'm pretty sure I can feel everything you're feeling except the knife is not in my hands, parting my imperfections, teaching me to love them from the inside in contrast to the pain felt from the outside I or we. Whatever is most unified and complementary will rise up from the ashes we've coated ourselves in so that someone might hold us still. But that now assumes we are already half-dead, blood drained from our faces, ghostly and transparent, covered in soot and obstacle and another man's assumption of what is real, good, and true. It can be as simple and sweet as trying too hard. Wanting too much, it should never feel like a crime. I'm sorry I don't know how to make things feel good for you while I'm trying to. All the time, an always present and connected existence means living a constant of tectonic shifts undercutting other people, because what they think reality is might just be the ankles of a moment that can't really feel the dead skin of its own soul, when it requires walking barefoot on ground a bit rockier than any sane person would choose. So I choose insanity. Call me crazy up on your cloud. You might have perspective what's perspective without experience. It's only grand when you choose to follow the raindrops down, mix with the soil, and get lost in the muck. You are the muck, or at least a part of it is a part of you, helping things that the sun lets live and grow strong and tall, vibrant, constantly striving and hoping that it's enough to just do your best, even though I can't be the one smiling at the, at the sweetest child stuck in never, never land, because it's too painful to risk meeting the stairs. All of those look at that weirdo or wacko, wild and unrestrained, unbridled by anything that reigns in someone else's reality. Hurt me and I bleed, but I become cleaner and purer, and our relationship becomes safer for both of us because I have hollowed and outed myself as someone willing to take a step back and just let go. I'm not in charge. I don't need to be. I just need to be. All right, thank you. That was Dan Skaggs. A little recap. Those are our first five readers. Dan Skaggs. Before that was Alex Sir Giorgio, Chloe Stagman, Christy Stout, and Gerald Wagoner. Our next reader is a regular yopper. You know him well. Give it up for Harvey Sauce. Uh, after this, you may regret knowing me, but that's another story. Uh, there have been a number of poets today who have 
indicator that they wrote in response to other poets. Uh, this is in response to Stormy Daniels. I disclaim any personal knowledge of the subject. It's called Talk Dirty to Me. My king of the jungle swinging days are over. My roar reduced to the mewling of a cub. Now when I drag my bad self belly to bed, it's telesex that helps me raise a chub. Abort, abort that pregnant pause. I swear I simply can't afford it anymore. Time's the enemy when phoning up a phone whore. I haven't enough moolah for extended foreplay. I keep several paid by the minute lovers on speed dial, a wireless and wet wipes under the covers. Each month I pay the telephone company a surcharge for calling features should I want a three-way. I dial up Goldilocks at something 666. I'm certain I'll go straight to hell for what I'm thinking of ordering in when fundamentalist preachers ring the dinner bell. It seems a thousand and one nights ago that I added Scheherazade to my favorites, loquacious handmaiden to a princess phone. She lowers her voice for a more intimate connection. Who knew conversation could be so much fun? I say, hey girl, hey girl, let's give it a whirl. Walk me through it, talk me through it, talk dirty to me. My ears, the virgin eyes, can take it. I'll play Bono to your share. My Cherie, your every touch tone pumps digitalis to my heart. I want to jump your bones, but the receiver won't let me. A fair exchange, your digits for my credit card. Tell me again how I'm the best phone sex you've ever had. occurred to me, do people still have phone sex? Evidently. Is that like old-fashioned? No. <laughs> um, what's, what's that? It's safer. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I'm done. <laughs> is, uh, Rebecca, is, is Rebecca Valinsky here? Negative. Our next reader has, I'm sure, a poem, but also an announcement. Give it up for Judy Schneier. Is that a good Thank you. So um, I wanted to announce this fundraiser that Sweet Action Poetry Collective Ooh. is going to be uh, producing on May 10th at the Old Stone House in Park Slope which some of you probably know. Um, five poets will be reading. We'll also have two um, dance pieces. And speaking of wonder, RJ Palaccio, who's my neighbor, is going to speak and be there to sign books and stuff like that. So, and all the proceeds go to 350.org to help fight climate change. So, and it's a really good deal. It's 20 bucks, and wine and beer and snacks are free. How are we doing that? I don't know. <laughs> um, at the Old Stone House. Yes, Third Street between 4th and 5th. And if you take one of these flyers, we're going to be, um, there's a, 
something you can go to tomorrow. The tickets will be online. You can purchase them online. Okay. Um, this poem that I'm going to recite is in that performance, but it's going to be choreographed, not by me, but by a friend of mine, into a dance piece. So, um, no, not Frankie, <laughs> but someone who studies with Frankie. Um, and it, so it'll be interesting. You'll hear it now as a poem, and then you'll see a theatricalized version with three dancers, if you come to that. So it's called um, Purple Toes. I see my toes here on the floor, a purple shade. I painted them, or rather paid a sweet young girl to cut and shape and color them. I find my present choices strange. When young, I didn't even shave. I let my legs stand with their hair beneath my skirt. I didn't care. Men still asked me out to dance. Well, I was young and beautiful. A feminist of sorts, I thought, but also lazy, so the chore of scraping them had no allure. One did ask when in my bed about the contradiction there. It was another kind of flirt, like wearing pearls when smeared with dirt. It showed a lively confidence not to show obedience to feminine obsequience and hinted at a spirit that would break your rules and stare right back. Men are often drawn to that. But now that age has drawn some spots in places that there never were and stripped away my orange flame to a grayish brownish hue, I find my spirit now draws forth the force of liquid nitrogen to expensively remove seboric keratosis spots. For hair dye too, I pay and pay to get the shade I grew for free. I bring my son point at his head, that color belongs on me. Paint yellow toes, shave hairy legs, both virtuously quick and cheap. The latter chore I do myself. I've overcome my laziness. Yet my spirit triumphs still. I break the rules my young self made. I don't have to obey that girl. She would have loved the irony. I will stare right back at her like she stared back at all of them no longer young and beautiful, but still a contradiction. Thank you, Judy. Well done. All right. We're on to number eight of 61. <laughs> Our next poet has two names that start with B. Give it up for Bonnie Belay. You know how tall I am? Sort of. It's very programmed Okay. Um, this poem is a spring poem. I write spring poems in the spring. I write fall poems in the fall. And in the summer, I write garden poems. And this is particularly for Brooklyn poets and for people who live in the city. At the end of winter, city people feel disconnected from nature. Still trees grow on the streets of Brooklyn and sap moves up the trunks. Daffodils and tulips nose up through the soil in the tree wells. Small flowers are published on bare branches of elms and red maples. Witch hazel is crazy yellow in the park. 
Cornus mass is coming pale, for Scythia is almost ready. Some of the signs are subtle, some are bold, but everything is starting, coming up, out, and opening. Like steam in a kettle, water at full boil, whistling right in front of you. Nice. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, great job, Bonnie. As usual, I feel we keep losing people. Where are y'all going? We're all, we're all watching you leave. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. No, I'm kidding. It's fine. Our next reader also has a last name that ends with B. It's, in fact, the next three. It's just weird. Anyway, it's not really that weird. It's just coincidence. <laughs> Give it up for Creighton Blinn. Hey. Um, okay. Hear me? Okay. Yeah. All right. Beneath the pitcher's gaze, wrapped in the humid air, groggy, yet unable to sleep, I lie in bed. Unsettled by the painting's eerie presence, its clumsy figures either by defect or design, distort concrete forms and leaving only abstract space swirling with fiery yellow and impressive orange. Bright sparks piercing the dank eustacious night, befitting our melancholy accommodations. What once may have been charming is now chilling, full of a, full of a disrepair much deeper than surface grime. Nothing feels reassuring as if the whole home is an extension of the overgrown graveyard we visited earlier. Rows of broken headstones, plots decorated with goat shit, the departed left entirely to their own devices as our hosts languish in increasing apathy. All is silent now, and not in a reassuring manner, and not because I'm an urbanite used to the sounds of the city, no. This is something different. This is a void full of souls I never knew but are cherished by the woman sleeping beside me. This is her pilgrimage, not mine. I am simply a companion offering comfort on a homecoming to a once treasured retreat, unexpectedly faded. Loved ones, either dead or drastically altered by time and circumstances taking their toll, as they always will, as they would soon lay claim to our own troubled relationship, the ending of which could already be gleaned in how the painting burns in my memory. Thank you. There you go, man. <laughs> former student of mine. See you next time. Is it early? Is it late? It's nine o'clock. Where are they all gonna be? Candy's still here. Yeah. What's one, what once may have been charming is now chilling. That was from Creighton's poem. Remember that. <laughs> I clearly have too much fun by myself, right? 
Is that phone? That phone is like a pocket square you got there. Yeah. yeah. It was once New Year's Eve in Atlanta. I went down there, had the suit and everything. I forgot like a pocket square. I was like, oh shit. I got one. So I, I took like something, like a, you know, in the hotel, they give you like a notepad. So I just took a piece of paper from that and just put it in there. <laughs> no one could tell the difference. It's beautiful. They're like, oh, that's a cool pocket square. I was like, I know. It costs nothing. Our next reader is Alan Braverman. Give it up for Alan. My fellow poets in this uh, month honoring poetry, April. My poem uh, tonight strays from my usual critical analysis that my wife thinks I'm borderline psychotic. It, but sadly, it's called Chaotic Visions Without Corrective Lenses. Delicious pleasure, moon over spring, and women worship the sun. Beautiful skin, sordid moment. Mm. Men love nude vision, whisper breast, light through frantic universe, picture time, caress the evening, pant and dance, embrace forest green, summer lightning beneath eternity, would throb behind a dream. Love diamond, a family jewel, enormous mound, soft wind could power language, collect delicate rain, Red sun and cloud, above mist, run delirious man, tremble in love, beauty and sex, as all watch acorn shadows scream holiday, then reduce to a murmur, while change and dress make rock chant, like fiddle, probe animal moment, essential stare beneath time. Light becomes poetry, fierce tongue, cool time, quiet lips, Come gorgeous vision of joy. Our seasons join, smooth lake glistens from nature's realm. Walk music, the morning dove bare egg, and the tree goddess speaks to fill the void. Only the hard road will penetrate night, giving birth to the dawn. Thank you. That was hot, Alan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know, you can't control him anymore. Uh, I can't wait till we read a poem and no one leaves. <laughs> this right, there's going to be two people left. <laughs> what is happening? All right, we're not looking at you. Don't worry, we don't judge you. Have a nice evening. <laughs> Our next poet uh, just took my blank verse workshop. Man, he really killed the last assignment, too. He wasn't there, too. It sucked. We, we actually read his poem. It was so good because we just had to honor his presence even though he wasn't there. So give it up for George Brocklehurst. Funnily enough, uh, the poem I'm going to read was the last assignment for Jason's blank verse workshop. <laughs> this is called Sunday Morning. Each Sunday morning finds him sitting in the barber's chair, soothed by the slap and slop of shaving foam the razor's raw edge on his skin, the heat of the towel pressed against his freshly shaven face, he is absolved. Less grand, perhaps, than Sunday's years before, when absolution came from gods who deigned to stoop and talk to him in ancient texts and rituals by candlelight. He'd felt a part of something then, 
and tries to think of when it was the red and white striped pole replaced the steeple and the cross, but finds he cannot say. His faith towards the end had stretched so thin that it was hard to see if it was there at all. Eroded like a cliff which seems so static even as the wind and waves exact their steady price. When it came time to draw new maps, that cliff had frayed much farther than he ever would have guessed. His world is simpler now. After the barber, he drinks coffee, black and strong, and thinks of solid things that he can see, the taste, the touch, the leisurely walk home. George Brocklehurst. <laughs> I trained them well. Not only did that sound good, but it was in meter. Which makes it like extra good. It's like an A plus. Did your mom ever, did you ever bring a quiz home to your mom with an A and she's like, why don't you get an A plus? Yeah. Is that just an Asian Jewish experience? Possibly. <laughs> Tina, no. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure some, some other ethnicities experience that, but I talked to my white friends, they're like, what's wrong with an A? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Why don't you get an A plus? Anyway, can't wait to say that to my kids. <laughs> uh, just to review the last few readers, that was George Brocklehurst. Uh, a lot of Bs. That was four in a row, that's crazy. Alan Braverman, Creighton Blinn, Bonnie Belay. Before that was Judy Schneier and Harvey Suss, and that brought us back to the first five. Okay, our next reader is, uh, you may remember him from last month, he read the poem about the vegan bicycle. Give it up for Bill Livingston. Keep it going for Jason, he just had a book come out. I can't wait till it's available on that table. I'm going to read the shit out of it with an old-fashioned wearing lots of flannel <laughs> late at night. Um, the other day I just downloaded a, a scanner app on my phone. And if you're ever having a shitty day, download a police scanner app and listen to it just for an hour. You'll feel so much better. There are just so many snippets of people's horrible lives that you don't see on the evening news. And um, this is based on an evening's listening. It's called Scanning the Night. Chicago, male foaming at the mouth, too many prescription meds. Suspect punched a cabbie. Busted headlight driving recklessly. Hit in the head by a male now moving south on 4th. Chevy blocking alley, details unclear. We have a 1032 at 1034. You're the best, thank you. Thank you for noticing. Going to lunch now. Possible rape in progress on pedestrian bridge. 14-year-old male in shoving match with cashier. Smoke on the fourth floor. Caller heard six loud gunshots. Someone parked in her parking space that she paid for. Nature of weapon unclear. Drooling and sleeping in bus station. Threatening to kill Caller and her husband. Saw a gun through the peephole. Man masturbating at ATM. Must have a decent balance. Burglar alarm, kitchen, motion detector tripped. She wants a male relative to leave. 45 Glock in hand, hoodie, ran into barbershop. Fireworks disturbance, highly intoxicated male requesting EMS. Battery in progress, two males fighting on mezzanine. 
off-duty police officer having issues with neighbor parking in her parking space. 2100 North Clifton, shots, shots fired. People are fighting, going through trunk, looking for weapons. I guess you can't enjoy your lunch. Five people fighting inside the apartment. Parked in her handicapped spot, nothing further. Denver, responding to ad abdominal pain at bus stop. Assault in progress, perp throwing potatoes at brothers. Respond to seizure at 7-Eleven. Female walking without a shirt and shoes, crying. Street light facing the wrong way. Trying to break into a caller's garage. Respond to a broken jaw. Female threatening to jump off bridge. Driver shooting gun in the air while speeding with a child in the car. Child abuse in progress. Nine-year-old girl. Father grabbed her by the neck. Robbery just occurred. Black coat, black pants with a scanner on his phone. So he's listening. Domestic disturbance. Tenants playing loud music. We'll talk to the roommate, see if we can take care of the see if she can take care of the victim's kids. Child's mother armed with knife trying to stab him, newborn in an apartment with them. Homeless male and female opened package through gate and took items. Male has two jugs of OJ on him. Need female officer to do a female search. Fled in blue minivan with a gun. Can we get lunch? Two males in black Chevy doing drug, a drug transaction. Walgreens, 6-1 male, just touched the security guard. Handicapped parking issue revolve, resolved upon arrival. Thank you, gentlemen. Be safe out there. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> At this point, people are just like, now, now it's going to be me. Have a good evening. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Uh, it's interesting. It's like we're exfoliating listeners. <laughs> I don't know what it is about the fifth anniversary. Let's never have another anniversary again. Our next reader, uh, one poem of the year at the Yop a couple of years ago. Give it up for Julian Knobloch. Yeah? So I brought two poems. They're short. I hope it's not going to be two people leaving after that. The first one is called The Smoothie. If I forgive you, I forgive the child you were, enchanted with his fresh squeezed juice after a long day at a tropical beach. You told me all about your family's vacation. No, not all. Enough for me to understand that you were desperate for those happy times when I said, let's have a smoothie, my treat. You were already late for a date I didn't know about, a work thing. You called it then. But you missed the taste of mangoes, pineapples, papayas. And I loved being there for you, feeling let in on the mystery of your past, your close-knit family. You saved the smoothie in my fridge for days. Each time you took a sip, you smiled like the child you were at the beach. And the second one is um, a poem um, about um, or commemorating or because it's Yom HaShoah this week, which is um, the Jewish uh, Memorial Day for the Holocaust, not the International Holocaust Day. And it's written from the perspective of someone who grew up non-Jewish in Germany. And it's called Shemot, and Shemot is the um, Hebrew name for names. The Jews are gone. What's left in Germany are Germans 
with names that in New York are Jewish. The Hoffmans, Kaufmans, Bachmans, the Breuers, Seidels, Kleins, the Meyers, Gerbers, Aunts, and Schwarzes. At times I see them disappear, the names, from class rosters, record albums, signatures, bylines, storefronts, wedding announcements, one by one, like the people around me in the synagogue, in my office, at my table, one by one, the Goldbergs, Weinstocks, Levisons, the Kirschenbaums, the Halperins, the Katzes. I stared for hours at the photo of Anne Frank, wanting to talk with her. I was younger than she was when she went into hiding. I am three times older now than she was when she died. The questions are still valid. How can you say you didn't know? So visible a silence, so tangible an absence. How can you say enough time has passed? The Jews are gone. What is left in Germany are names that haunt the Germans from generation to generation. Thank you. Have a good night. <laughs> Thank you, Julia. That's beautiful. It is odd, isn't it? I don't think I've ever... Are you going to leave, too? <laughs> Look, I'm reading, and I'm out. Yeah. I'm going to leave soon. I'm done with this. What the hell? This is... This, this is I don't think this has ever happened before. Uh, is there something going on tomorrow? Is it April 10th. Oh, thanks. So. <laughs> it's a regular Tuesday in April. Our next reader uh, just put together this book. I'm sure he'll tell you all about it. In fact, he's giving them away so you can get one. Go home tonight. Give it up for Timothy Gerber Fleury. Thanks, guys. Uh, I would like to thank Jason for calling it a book. <laughs> it's more like a booklet, a fanzine sort of word collection of words I wrote between 2013 and 2016 before I started writing poetry. And I edited since then to fit a more like, let's say, poetic format. Format. Um, it's called Forward because it's quite self-explanatory. Um, I will read one of them from this. It's called To Get Your Attention When You Pray. Tell me, my brother, on which adventures have you been? Have you walked along the shores, saw the thousand wonders of the sea? Have you been to the mountains and witnessed the greatness of the sky? Did they and the hills break forth into singing before you? Did you write words about what you saw in a notebook and turn them into songs upon your returns? I've been dreaming of you lately. Everything was vibrating with the freshness of your being. I had to speak so softly. I didn't know any other way to get your attention when you pray. It seems to me I've been looking for you my whole life, along the streets, along the roads, along the trees, aching for your presence and your fire, it seems, even though you were never far from my side. There are words in books that I want to sing, to spray around me the love that you bring, words of passion, joy, communion, and foreverness, so on the trail of life, we will never die. Never again will we see our mother cry. And if I lose a home, then I'll make another. But if I lose you, who will I call my brother? 
There's a hundred houses around ours, non-true castle with proper towers. Thank you, Tim. What was that? Did you make that noise, Bonnie? Was that, oh, that, was that Bonnie or Tony? That was Tony. That was a yop. Oh, yay. All right. <laughs> we didn't lose anyone. That, oh, Bill's about to leave. <laughs> it's a win. All right, we did. Okay. Uh, that was Timothy Gerber Fleury. Before that was Julia Knobloch, Bill Livingston, George Brocklehurst. Our next poet won poem of the month last month for her amazing poem about uh, people not understanding that she's Hispanic because she looks white or something. They, they, <laughs> they screw up. Give it up for Emma Rojas. I think that poem was about a lot more than <laughs> just my ethnicity. Just don't listen to it. Stupid thing. So, anyways, I wrote something very different for tonight, um, and it's in honor of the spring fling. I wrote this for you by the train. Will you be dismayed if I don't take you home with me? Will the night seem for naught if in the morning beside each other we do not lay? Can there be enough pleasure, not in anticipation or relief of this sensation that propels us towards some future aim? Can instead we burn through these feelings and let them go as unexpectedly as they came? Thank you. Yeah, Emma, quick and efficient and awesome. Are you ready? Arthur Russell's up next. Give it up for Arthur. It's been a great reading tonight. I don't know why people are leaving. So many great poems. Thanks for the workshop. It was great. This is called Snow on the Forsythia. We sail the sea in boats, in a boat that we have made, made from an older boat that failed, a boat whose origin was lost, lost in the failure that ended its first life. Boats like that are chalked and tarped in boatyards, where grass grows through the gravel and bushes grow through diamonds in the fence, and winter brings the powder to the surface of fiberglass hulls left years without concern. Boatyards, near marinas, next to bars, bars where mostly men drink mostly beer. We sail the sea in boats, in a boat that we have made, made from an older boat that failed, a boat whose origin was lost, lost in the failure that ended its first life. To buy a boat like that might take negotiation. The boatyard guy flips through the box of index cards, dirt-edged cards, to find the owner's name. The owner lives year-round in Florida, 
from Florida, this broke down boat looks perfect. The price he quotes is like a pile of leaves that needs a winter's ice to compost down. We sail the sea in boats, in a boat that we have made, made from an older boat that failed, a boat whose origin was lost, lost in, <clears throat> in the failure that ended its first life. By spring, it's ours. We take the tarpaulin off and climb up on a milk crate to the deck and pull the decking up to see the engine, black engine in its brackish, oily bilge. The bilge where we will spend a working year, a year of knuckles skinned and bloody, bloody knuckles shoved for comfort to our mouths. We sail the sea in boats, in a boat that we have made, made from an older boat that failed, a boat whose origin was lost, lost in the failure that ended its first life. You don't need to know to know how we stared at knots to untie them, how we drank a beer while standing in the bilge and dined on saltine crackers and pissed across the gunwale on the grass that grew through gravel and slept out on the open deck all summer. Suffice to say, we launched the following April, that early April day for Scythia had bloomed, bloomed spanking yellow through the boatyard fence. But then a snow had fallen overnight. Six fluffy inches covered up the blooms. And that's the day we set the boat with no name, pan painted, <clears throat> with no name painted on her transom yet into the waters of Horsehead Bay and watched it take its first bob in the waves, the tiny waves that broke on the dirty sand and newish seagrass sprouting near our feet. We sail the sea in boats, in a boat that we have made, made from an older boat that failed, a boat whose origin was lost, lost in the failure that echoed its first life. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> Got the pat on the shoulder. It's always nice to get that after you read. Our next reader, that's a former Poem of the Year winner and the Opera of the Year winner. Our next reader is our Poem of the Year winner from last year. Give it up for Shara Hardison. All right, I've been working on a series of animal self-portraits. Um, so this one's called Cuttlefish. I was born with the uncanny ability to fade into the wallpaper. I'd suck up breath and change the shape and surface of my skin until all that was left was the faded floral pattern, the kitchen clock, and all the refrigerator magnets. I did it once to make room and couldn't turn it off after that. <laughs> Scientists have puzzled over it for years, conducting research on the muscular and neural mechanisms. The re results have been largely inconclusive. Similar studies on the elusive cuttlefish reveal that energy and mental effort are not required to maintain these disguises. 
which may suggest a kind of evolutionary overlap between species, you might turn around one day and see what appears to be a clump of seaweed, but it's only me in the form of a retreating cephalopod. Thanks. That always happens when I go over there. The poem ends. <laughs> Great poem. Uh, cuttlefish. I heard that as like C U D D L E fish first. You too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Does that exist? No, that's not what you meant, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, do fish cuddle? I don't. Yes? Is that you, Emma? <laughs> Just very confident. <laughs> Lauren. <laughs> All right. Our next poet is, I believe, a Yop debuter. Is it I, Yamanaka? <laughs> Give it up for I, Yamanaka. Hi, everyone. This is my first time here. Uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so I lived in Kyoto, Japan for a few years. Um, but I'm originally from New York with the name like Aimanaka, so I'm trying to figure it out, my identity. Um, a monk once told me that life is meaningless, but that it is beautifully human to try to make meaning out of it anyway. In Japanese, the word husband, shujin, literally translates to main person. Shufu, main wife. Shuyaku, main role. What are we mainly of? For me, I am mainly incompetent, mostly paranoid, a tinge feisty, and the rest, the rest is all guilt. I am mainly guilt. And how can I not be? When my meals are haunted by the ghosts of bloodied calves, when every piece of sustenance consumed is wrapped and wrapped and pre-wrapped in plastic that suffocates a distant fish, a fish soon to be extinct because of our incessant overfishing and our need for more, more, more. When here I complain of cold and sleepless nights, where elsewhere children are fighting wars and planes are crashing, missiles firing, free time, our faces pasted to a screen, sating our overindulgent attention spans, too busy, so leaving families in nursing homes also staring at screens. When my fingers cannot shape pots or weave clothes or harvest food, only drone away words of dead poets on the skins of trees. When the ancient quest for true faith is made by clever words arranged by pundits who sit and judge in their cerebral tower. We buy wine on credit and feign insight on weed. We think we're so smart, better than that drunk, that bigot, those fanatical preachers. Because I cannot be an artist until the sweat from my father's back is the paint on my canvas. Until I can rub my mother's hands and her hum become my song. Until I have tried with every ounce of my being to slightly and ever so slightly give back to this world. And not always be taking, taking, taking. So how do we find redemption? Perhaps when we finally shed our skin, the earth embraces us. And when we ask for forgiveness, we children, the north wind blows its grace. Perhaps if we were granted a mere glimpse of a gift, if we were granted compassion or hope or love, that we do. So if you were granted voice, sing. If you were granted hands, labor. If you were granted hope, dream. Because we cannot afford to lose you, you dreamers, you doers, you lovers. And we have, when we have covered these wounds in earth and verse, 
Perhaps from the ashes will rise forgiveness. Well done. Thank you. All right, we're on to the wait list. We've got three. One person signed up, so that's an additional person. No, I think he's still here. Philip's still here, right? Is Philip here? Oh, yeah, he's still here. How dare you? <laughs> three poets left. The first two poets uh, are our wonderful volunteer staff. Give them a round of applause back there, Aidan and Sebastian. We couldn't do the event without them, obviously. Uh, so our first poet, she uh, edits on the bridge. If you've ever been featured as Poem of the Day, it may have been her. <laughs> Give it up for Ada Chen. Hi. I was going to apologize for being vulgar, but then we talked about phone sex and police scanners, so I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs> Can everyone hear me? I'm terrible at microphones, so I just want to make sure. A little closer? A little... Okay, all right. This is called A Poem That Is Also a Domino Effect. Start with kissing everybody. Fuck them, even though you realize sauntering and McKibbing you didn't really want to. When undressing underneath the lofted bed, the broken mirror attempts to amputate you at the knees, he will say he punched it. It was an accident. This is just the empty room, and you will tell him how last week you knelt right onto a thumbtack, pulled the steel from your flesh, how smoothly the flat back was flush against your skin, how it felt to pull it out of your own body, how you resolved you could never kill someone by stabbing if you happen to need to kill someone, and on the note of death now, you will start thinking of Isaiah again thinking about how you were born in the hospital he died in, how it snowed that night, how you slept across Spruce Street as he was dying, how you didn't know it, but you knew his Bambi legs and his mushrooms, his poetry, or something similar enough to it, how his mother loved Jesus and his sister loved Jesus, but neither figured out how to love him when he started to bring his own boys home, I think of Isaiah in August. He stands on the porch with steel driven into his bony knees, and he's afraid to pull the nail out. I think he looks like Jesus in the stream, afraid to pull out of his own body. I think of buggy lawns in Clinton Hill. I think of summers that look fluorescent, that smell like tangerines and old air conditioning. Thank you. Ada, it's great. You can hear how the music is picked up down there. Yeah. Anyway, we have two poets left. Um, our next poet is also a bridge editor and uh, was recently named a Poets House Fellow. In fact, he just completed his, or I think you completed your fellowship. Are almost done? Oh, okay. So he's still he's still got the glory for a month, which is beautiful. Uh, give it up for Sebastian Bernard. Thank you, Ada. That was beautiful. Um, Ada is a very literary name, I think. Ada or Ardor Nabokov. I don't know if anyone has 
read that, but yeah. Um, this is called Blender Mercury, and it's titled um, after an exercise C.A. Conrad has of um, picking your favorite household item and then a god. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Tale is Accident's Sutra. Smell of wisteria, my where-when wish. Autopsies never reveal more about the ones we loved. Torn is another word for love and stay. Crass the initiative clarity. All the things I can't put inside the mouth of my dead friend. My dead friend's friends come down in his sneakers. We each decide it's a dream to put our respective allergies into a recipe in his memory and ask his mother to make it mix sativa into the darling cake of death and hand it out with its long receipt of warnings. There are a million ways of loving our dead that don't kill others in the planet, which is planet the most depreciated word on earth. It means nothing to lose anymore. The orca whale on its back, sympathetic, isn't it too a whore when it begs? I always wished I could be a whore, get more nail marks on me than is possible for a gay man stretch the fantasy wider and deeper. Which one's the carbon that's opposite fortune telling? Fourteen, thou shalt have died as would, been born Sumerian bull god liar, 4,600 years ago. Boom, destroyed by Isis? No, Assyrian. No, you're thinking Assyrian. When will they find the emotion carbon? Past life crystal, honest to God crucible. I am sick of my hidden nakedness. If Edgar Hoover did drag in his spare time, when will the woman-burning conservatives face themselves in the mirror and disappear? When will they learn to cope with their sexual impotence and help move the country forward? It's not Freud, it's basic human love for oneself and others. Even the word torn in every iteration is love and stay. I want you good. White man who can't say that to his black, Native American, hetero, gay, trans, what have you, ideal lover is a loser and needs to grow up before he thinks other people are outside him. One endless poem that is a solution to the block. Mysteria returns via door in the deathless photograph of dad. His red shoes the moment he spilled four glasses of wine on a rich woman, first day waiting at a chic restaurant in West Hollywood. Then my mother standing before a car that's not hers, saying, well, you still belong to me. In the hysteria of losing my marbles, my mother always saved. She gave the food in her mouth. That really hurt me. I am not perfect. I am so afraid. We're all true things she never said. Make her proud. Slay. Get that crown, kid. I am fierce, Papa. Wrote a spell full of bile after I read my government had taken over Afrin from the Kurds. Wrote the words illness, mirror pain, thousandfold, and other such lingo into my notebook. Our president thinks we can be terrorists with words. He's clearly never read a poem. If you keep needing to call people trying to get by in other countries terrorists, then that means you're a terrorist, baby. Causing blood and smoke where you don't belong. Mourning grief and depression in people you never met, whose feet you're not fit to kiss. Dispatch, red, blues, anti, sailors having their cake in the White House. I am made to love the crime that bred me, like an adult sandwich. Erotic dyslexia, licking its fingers of prosthetic lunch. My ancestors were all shook when we came out of their bullets. My generation keeps getting put out, 
by the prejudices of the fog squad, the simulators of weak knee. It is always beautiful to be weak kneed. The most gorgeous dance is bow legged. My brothers enter this universe, their eyelids painted green, fitful, but there is no dangerous leftism currently in the United States, where exchange value crushes the soul and right wing, right -wing extremism sets the standards for what is possible. But watch that change. My ideology is let's understand you and move on. When it comes to politics, I don't think you need to be hated to be loved. You certainly need to be hated. In the days before he committed suicide, Hadrian's lover Antinous kept his palm concealed from the emperor in fear he might spot the short fishing string of his lifeline. That my love flows madly, unconscionably, raggedly in the face of neglect tells me the night and its thousand mirrors are assailable. Because you or my country never cried for me, I get excited thinking of everyone who will once I'm dead. That is beautiful about death, the remembering everyone will do, devotion that keeps this world together and wise. Thank you. Thank you, Sebastian, our last reader of the night. Not only has a great name to close the event, but uh, just became a Brooklyn Poets member earlier today, which could be. <laughs> I like that you're all applauding. Yeah, it could be something that you all do before you leave, unless you're already a member, in which case, I love you. Our last reader of the night is Philip Angel. Give it up for Philip. Thank you. Uh, I've been meaning to join Brooklyn Poets or come to a reading for about the last six months since I was introduced to it by Julia. And um, I picked a poem because that's ekphrastic, um, though I want to put an extra syllable in that. I want to say ekphrastic. But um, the one, there's a lot. I want to resist the temptation to try to contextualize the poem because I want what's in it to be the poem. But I will say it's an heirloom. It's a, about a painting that's in my position. Um, and I'm the kind of the custodian of it now that I'm kind of the last, you know, my progenitors are gone and so I have it and it's kind of about that. I don't know much about it. It was painted by someone whose last name was Goldsmith and it was painted in 1965. I was born in 1975. Um, and it, the poem's called Mother's Art, and mother's is a plural possessive. Is that a baby or a book in the young lady's lap? Her gaze awaits another generation's. The old woman sits in an eggplant dress her bulbous body planted on a bench. Dabbed deep pink, her elbows bend to hands, playing piano beyond the matted frame. Over her shoulder, the young woman perched on a pine-colored couch, daughter or granddaughter. The pearl-gray face tilts above a slender body draped by light and the blue impression of a dress. 
I read myself into this heirloom, painted years before my birth, cradled and obscure. A room without doors or windows, but furnished with imaginary music and the tender look of mothers. Thank you. All right, thank you, Philip. Thanks, Julia, for bringing him. Um, okay, to review, we have a vote, poem of the month. It's April, it's National Poetry Month. Woo, National Poetry Month. <laughs> yes, it's a great time to win. It's always a good time to win. That was Philip Angel. Before that was Sebastian Bernard, Ada Chen, I Yamanaka, Shara Hardison, Arthur Russell, Emma Rojas, Timothy Gerber Fleury, Julia Knobloch, Bill Livingston, George Brocklehurst, Alan Braverman, Creighton Blinn, Bonnie Belay, Judy Schneier, Harvey Sauce, Daniel Skaggs, Alex Sir, Giorgio, Chloe Stagman, Christy Stout, and Gerald Wagoner. I think that was uh, 21. See how we didn't get to 24. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just a thing. But 21 is good. Uh, the number, once again, is 718-374-1953. If you want to vote for Poem of the Month, just give me the poet's name. First and last name preferred. Um, our next yop is on May 14th, the second Monday of May. We'll be back here again at 61 Local. Marwa Halal, some of you may remember her, will be teaching the workshop. Say it again. Yes, she is amazing. Um, remember the reading on April 20th, also this thing at Brooklyn Historical Society. This Friday, April 13th, I will be occupied both Fridays. Uh, Thank you for coming. It's been five years of yops. This is now 61. Congratulations for making it. We couldn't do it without you, especially all of you longtime yoppers. It's good to see you here every month. And, uh, of course, all the newcomers every month. We have newcomers and we have regulars, so it's really nice. Constantly grows and everyone gets reintegrated. Uh, take that out into the world. The world needs it, of course. Meet other people. As Tina was saying, turn to someone you don't know here. Talk to them. That stuff matters. Community happens in the flesh, not online. Certainly not with a hashtag on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Okay, that's it. Thank you. We'll see you in May. So, there you have it. Our fifth anniversary YOP open mic on April 9th, 2018. Thanks again to Brooklyn Poet Laureate Tina Chang for leading a wonderful workshop on Ekphrasis and featuring as our reader before the open mic. Tina is a wonderful poet and a great force for good in our poetry community in Brooklyn and also in the community beyond Brooklyn. Uh, she really is an amazing presence, and uh, I encourage you to check out her work and, and see more about what she does uh, all over, really. I uh, can't thank her enough. Congratulations to our featured reader, or sorry, not our featured reader, but our winner of Yacht Poem of the Month for April, George Brocklehurst, my former student who took uh, my recent blank verse workshop. Shows you what can happen if you take a Brooklyn Poets workshop. It leads to uh, immediate glory and uh, recognition and money. So uh, let that be a lesson to you, poets. Uh, George is a fantastic poet. Really happy for him. 
Our next Yop comes your way on May 14th. Again, that's the second Monday of the month. It will be led by Marwa Halal, Brooklyn Poets Prof and former student, incidentally, former fellow. Marwa will be leading a workshop called Imagining a, Verna- Sorry, Imagining a Vernacular Future uh, this summer, which she has taught in the past. It's a fantastic workshop on the use of vernacular language in poetry. So she's going to give you a little glimpse of what that workshop is going to be all about on May 14th. For more information about that and to sign up, once again, go to brooklynpoets.org, click on the events on the menu, and find the op, and you will find out everything you need to know, and hopefully everything else your heart desires. Uh, That starts at 7 p.m. May 14th. Thanks again for listening. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us if you can. We would love that. Uh, And hopefully we will see you at the May 14th Yacht. Be well, be safe. Till next time.